So hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Saving Ourselves podcast. And uh, yeah, today we're having a fantastic guest, Harry, and uh, we're going to talk about plastic and uh, we're going to cover a bit of the problems that we're facing in the well, plastic related industries at the moment, but also focus on the future and see what kind of opportunities do we have here. And uh, yeah, I'm having here's uh, Jennifer in the studio as well. Hi, is Jennifer there? Hello, Hi, Maya. Hello. And um, yeah, we are having our second episode, as Maya rightly said. And my name is Jennifer Himen. And today, as said already, we will be talking about plastics, but in general, packaging with Harry. So we are very happy. And now we will give him the opportunity to also introduce himself and tell a little bit about what he does and his motivation and inspiration. So Harry, over to you. Hi guys, great to be here. My name is Harry Henry. Yes, that's actually my real name. I'm originally from Madagascar. I live in London and I am currently the head of sustainability and strategic marketing for WePack, which is a global packaging giant originally from Finland. Um, yes, I'm in plastic packaging. So I guess in many senses, we are the axis of evil. Um, and I am really looking forward to more of your tough questions. I am a sustainability enthusiast of many, many years. Um, and I, my, my sole reason for being in packaging is because it's, it's uh, among uh, the two other big ones, which are uh, textiles and agriculture. It's one of the three big topics of where the sustainability battle is won. Awesome. Thank you. And welcome to the second episode with us. I was, uh, well, browsing some sustainability leads there in LinkedIn and noticed that really often there's like lead of sustainability and communication or sustainability and marketing. So just wondered like, what, what is the reason for that? Why are these two linked? I can't speak generally. For us, it makes, makes sense. So for, in my case, it's just that I, I have a number of departments. Um, and, and sustainability and marketing um, are two separate departments, but they're they're both mine. And for us, it made perfect sense because uh, five years ago we said, uh, you know, you need to in order to solve the world's biggest problems, you need to learn. We as a society need to learn uh, to to ask better questions. The quality of your question informs the quality of your answer. So our question was, what would it take to be carbon neutral as a packaging company in five years? And, and when we solved for that equation and we, we figured out a way, and again, uh, whether we reached that target quickly or, or not so quickly, um, but you need to ask that question and you need to reverse engineer your answers and what, what, what it means for you today, tomorrow, this month, next month, this year uh, to do that. And once we had built the strategy around carbon neutrality, we realized that um, actually, uh, you know, 90% of our marketing is really going to be around that topic. Mm. So, so, so it, it wasn't recently changed to that. It's been like that since the beginning. Uh, your, it, your title, almost titles. Roughly so, yes. So, 2019, when we when we rolled out the new strategy, we said these these departments belong together because mm. they need to, basically sustainability is the content of our marketing, and marketing is 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 the 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 only reason why we want to be be bought in the future. Uh, is because we want to do something sustainable with our new customers. Okay. Yeah. 
makes definitely sense. And actually, I've been also following Vipak quite a lot on social media, and it's it seems that you're like really trying. And I mean, like there's we know that there's microplastic the most sustainable thing in the world, but you're like trying really trying to build the future and find solutions and also making this kind of systemic change there. So, in so just in terms of the, the marketing side of it, you, you see mm -hmm. us a lot because we do a lot. I mean, uh, and, and this is this is not always easy, right? So um, we don't have a sexy product. We don't have uh, running shoes from ocean plastic, right? We have cheese mm -hmm. packaging. So, yeah. so when we did a digital product launch a year ago, um, we recorded a number of videos where engineering types with German accents said, have you heard of our Biaxer Pet Peel XX Echo? And uh, that's how the video started. And actually 171,000 people said to themselves, ooh, I have not, I will listen to the whole three minute video. Mm -hmm. And people watched the whole thing. And actually now at the moment, um, it, our January and February numbers are astonishing. We had one minute video clips about sustainability in packaging and, uh, and, and just products as well, or, or just our people talking. And we had uh, 12 million people started watching a video and six, minute, six million people completed it. So wow. there is interest in the topic. That's, that's one thing I'd say. Then the other thing is, um, I think let, let's, we, we need to be transparent and honest here. Um, our industry is not the world's most sustainable. The question is that the, the question the, the question we're trying to or the equation we're trying to solve here is uh, how can we have enough packaging mm. but never too much and and most stuff that you get sent home you see that there is about 10 times as much packaging as it would need yes that's and, true and the first question that we need to be able to answer as packagers is how do we make sure that the packaging is as skinny as possible, as recyclable as possible, as low on carbon footprint as possible, while still doing its essential function, which is protecting whatever perishable is inside. Because the end result can't be, so in very simple terms, we should all eat less red meat. It's mm -hmm. very simple. Red meat has a really high environmental footprint. Now, there are nuances to this, if you're a vegan and you order your pineapple and your 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 mango and your um, your, your um, other vegetables from Brazil or South Africa, um, then it's highly likely that if you live in a neighborhood that has a, a pig farm, then the local pig is actually less uh, intensive uh, to to mm -hmm. the climate. Mm -hmm. right? So so that's that's really important. But by and large, we all know, and I mean this is not news to anyone. By and large, um, complex proteins we need to consume less of in order to save the planet. If we make the choice to eat that T-bone steak, we must package it so that it doesn't perish. It's that simple. Now, when we've, yeah. once we've agreed to that, that we need to protect, we, we need to reduce the, the, the consumption of things that create a heavy environmental load, um, uh, the next step is that that um, if we can't reduce or we choose to do it anyway, we need to protect it so that it doesn't perish because that would be a massive waste. And once we've solved for that, the next one is to say, where can we get rid of, of packaging? Where can we make sure that the packaging is in a way that we can reuse uh, or, or recycle it? And how can we make sure that it doesn't end end up somewhere else? And littering is a huge problem in this country, in the UK as well. I mean, why is rubbish not in the bins? Why is it in nature? 
is a good question. I think, as you said, I think everyone has a role to play because it's more about individual effort as well. It is indeed. I, I want to just make sure for the listeners that I'm not sort of skirting responsibility. I'm not at all saying um, us in the plastic industry uh, were being treated harshly um, and, and uh, the responsibility lies somewhere else. That is not at all what I'm saying. And I think this is an important point because at the end of the day, I think people who come at us and say, well, listen, you're talking about recycling, you're talking about taking things back, you're talking about more sustainable products. But every time I go on my damn boat, I see plastic floating in the ocean. And those are just facts. And everyone in the value chain has a role to play for that. Actually, um, kind of regarding to that, how are the markets for recycled plastic? I mean, like in the case, people are really recycling plastic and putting them to a right bin. And then some truck comes and takes this uh, plastic to some re recycling plant. So what then? And what's Vipak's role in there? So, I mean, interestingly, uh, there, there's because we don't recycle all the plastic and that's that's one of one of the problems if I may mention that for a moment you know we don't just have 27 EU countries plus then then the UK which has the same legislation still we also mm -hmm. have regions so the way um, for instance a small country like Denmark the different de regions of Denmark have differently colored recycling bins mm -hmm. which is an absolute travesty I mean how how are we ever going to come to a point where where, where, where this is going to work when we have regional differences. So uh, we count around 40 different uh, regions in terms of recycling in, in Europe. So that's, that, that is something that needs massive harmonization because one of the reasons why things are not recycled or we can't reuse things that come through recycling is that it doesn't make economic sense to recycle things that come in really, really small quantities. So think about, for instance, you're a recycler and you need to run different recycling processes for each material and you get 107 materials come into you on, a, on an average Friday. Wouldn't it be much nicer if you had three different materials in big and sort of big quantities? Big quantities, yeah. Right? That's what you need and, and, and that's why, why the push that we have at the moment towards mono materials or creating lots and lots of, of uh, materials from PP or PE um, uh, it, it makes makes sense. So if you if you talk, for instance, about the market, if you think about the market for PET, uh, so PET or PET is so your typical uh, plastic uh, fizzy drink or water bottle, right? Yeah. So so there's a massive recycling market, and we make lots and lots of things out of those. Uh, and in fact, the the prices of PET as a raw material, as a recycled raw material, have gone up massively. And in fact, the industry needs much more than there is. So there is over demand at the moment for it. Uh, also simply because it's one of those that are actually recycled and one of those that are recycled well and are recycled in, in many countries. Um, if you then look at other materials, so, so we often have the impression that paper is a really recyclable material, but in large parts of Finland, it doesn't get recycled. Uh, in Germany, it's a in, in Switzerland, it's a highly recyclable product. So, so Germany, the sustainability people in Germany love paper. Um, mm. Other countries, it's not recycled as long as we don't find a way to harmonize this. And then to, for instance, in Western Europe, where countries are close together, um, to have uh, intra-European uh, recycling stations. So massive recycling stations where, where sort of you can collect the, the streams, the raw material, the recycling streams from different countries. Um, we're going to have issues. 
Yeah. Do you th do you think that there's or is there already some uh, kind of that kind of organization being built or like about to be built? There are a number. Um, and the interesting thing again, the, the role the, the the role of the legislator here is to create those markets, to create those frameworks, so that people will actually, so that there is actually a market where you can. I mean, I I, I want to use a different example again from 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 East Africa. Um, there is a company called Ocean Soul. Ocean Soul, as in S O L E, not the soul of the ocean, right? And it's a wordplay uh, in that uh, that company uh, collects flip-flops thousands i think forty-seven thousand flip-flops last year from beaches mm -hmm. so they collect that and they turn them into objects of art or utility objects like sofas and tables and things yeah. and and the the interesting thing here is that there is a clear market and a clear price right so so mm -hmm. the the local community and everyone working there knows what the what the value of a um of a flip-flop is, of a discarded flip-flop is, because they know what they get paid for it. And the people mm -hmm. who buy them know what the value is because they know what they can pay for it so that it is an acceptable cost in their production cycle. Yes. So that's a good example of where organically a market a system has sprung up. And now for the, for the big quantities, for the big things, um, the big streams in Europe, we need more robust, we need bigger. Uh, bigger uh, ways of doing this, and it's. You could also argue that uh, sort of repurposing flip flops into little uh, plastic dolphins and giraffes. I mean, um, it's not an entirely sustainable business because how many of them will you buy? Yeah. After you've bought your ninth plastic dolphin made of flip flops, you'll probably have <laughs> uh, space to put them or, or friends to give them to, right? So, so that that's. It's a nice little gimmick. It's a nice way of looking at at. Um, at how a market can be built, it's a good example. It's a it's a it's an example case, but of course we need much bigger, um, bigger solutions in in, in Europe. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But in in a way, this really nice uh, example of circular economy as well. And then these dolphins can be recycled into I don't know bottles again. No. Yeah, there's there's yeah that is is a is a good circularity. Um, example. I mean, what, where, where we have to be slightly critical with is why are those why are those flip flops in the sea or on the beach? Mm. Yeah, um, from people. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't the be there in the first place. Yeah, and and it's also and you know, lo and behold, um, maybe we should also ask ourselves the question of whether those flip flops needed to be produced in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the problems we have is this overproduction, and always there is excess. And then it ends up somewhere you shouldn't be. I mean, I you know I'm, I'm originally from Madagascar, and and I, it's 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 a heartbreaking picture that you see. So so when you go to to Tana to Antananarivo, the capital, around Christmas, just before Christmas and after Christmas, before Christmas, all the street kids with no shoes stand on the street corner and sell you plastic Christmas trees. And after Christmas, the mm -hmm. excess plastic Christmas trees are in the ditch. And the way this works as a global supply chain is China, roughly, there's other countries as well, but let's say, say uh, as the biggest manufacturer of these kind of products in the world, China produces those trees in the assumption that the West will consume them or want them. They will overproduce because it's cheaper to produce overproduce than to lose out on sales. Whatever Europe then doesn't take, China dumps in East Africa or other African countries that I might not be aware of, 
uh, other countries as well. Um, and the local sort of um, the local street mob will take them up and will try to get something for them and then discard them. By the way, um, last autumn, last time I was I was in Madagascar in, in August, it was small fridges. So those small fridges that have space for three to four or four to six. Yeah, drinks. the small ones. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So so there's always something. So whatever our consumption madness here in, in, the, in the West, sort of when, when we change trends and we decide to do something else, um, the excess gets dumped somewhere. Um, yeah, mostly in Africa, somewhere in Africa. Initially. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm originally from Ghana and I totally get what you're saying because I see it every day. Yeah, so the completely opposite uh, end of the continent, right? So you're in the yes. West, and you have exactly the same problem. So it gets dumped on you, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and and it. Uh, I would argue that there, I mean, there there is there is very little actual value to society or even the individual from a plastic uh, plastic pine tree in Madagascar around Christmas when it's about forty degrees Celsius. You just don't need that. Um, the other yeah. side of that overproduction is there was a year a few years back where lots and lots of fridges, not just small ones, arrived in Madagascar. And so everyone had fridges, but no one had electricity. <laughs> or as in, it's not, it's not true. Lots of people have electricity, but there were, there were more, more so fridges. Let's, than let's put it this way. The, fr the, the fridge wasn't the problem. Not having a fridge wasn't the exact, exactly the problem. Yeah. Um, so, so this is, this is a, this is a global problem. Um, and if we get 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 back to packaging, um, at least in packaging, we have we have the benefit of um, we very very rarely produce uh, on stock mm. uh, or, or, or massively on stock. Uh, let's put it that way, because um, the sort of the, the consumption flows, especially in food packaging, are quite predictable. So you know people people eat roughly the same amount every week. They eat a little bit more at home during the pandemic as opposed to in a restaurant, uh, they eat significantly more certain foods around Easter and Christmas. Um, and then in the barbecue season, especially in Finland, uh, everyone sort of goes out for, for packaged sausages. And so that can be predicted quite well. And you can, you can sort of forecast against that quite, quite, quite well. So the, the, ex the production excess is not the, the biggest issue. The big issue comes at the back end of this when uh, sort of the end of the life cycle uh, looms. Mm. What do you do then? How do you dispose of things correctly and make sure that they're they're uh, they're used again if possible? Yeah. So, actually, regarding that uh, back end of the cycle, so I just saw one documentary which was saying that about thirty five percent of Finnish plastic is actually being reused. Uh, they, the previous number was 70%, but then they corrected it. Uh, so is this a 35% something that Deepak is then buying or using? So, so first of all about those numbers, so I think, I think we, we need to be very, very careful, right? So there's a, there's a big difference between reusing and recycling. Yeah. Um, so, so reuse in, in, in the term that, in the sense that we use it is very difficult for the food industries because of food hygiene. Right. So, yeah. so for instance, if you have a sausage package and you want to reuse that in any way, the first thing is you need to wash and sterilize it. And if, uh, unfortunately, I mean, if you use lots of water and soap, 
to wash something that actually has a very individually has a very small environmental footprint, you might be doing the, the environment a disservice. Um, about the things, the recycled ones that we can reuse for food and medical applications, it's quite tricky. The recyclates, but but mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the exact number of what we do is that comes back to us. But there are uh, we have used uh, recyclates for years, actually. So especially PET. Um, we've actually even done sort of we, we've been innovative in the sense that we've not sort of asked too many questions. We've just replaced uh, normal PET with recycled PET. Um, mm. It just tested it that it runs exactly the same on the machine on the packaging machines and then just sort of, uh, you know, told the customers heads up. You now have 80% uh, recyclates in your in your mix. So we've just mm. made that decision for ourselves without even sort of waiting for waiting for more money to come in or have those those tedious conversations just because we could and we wanted to know that we can and i i would encourage all the other producers to to take a similar approach i mean just just go for it because you don't know and i'll give you an example of of with with one big um scandinavian dairy producer i mean we run a we want to run a project um it took us 10 weeks and we found one product how to make it carbon neutral almost mm -hmm. i think we were 87 percent carbon neutral and then we had to offset 13 percent, which is really pretty good at this stage and and so we did that and we were proud and we worked really hard for 10 weeks and then the person from from the dairy company that we worked with said well this is good now only seven twenty seven thousand products to go <laughs> just for that one company yeah right? And you see the magnitude of the problem that we face. We need massive harmonization. We need massive harmonization of materials and recycling rules and the capability, mm -hmm. the capacity to recycle. And then yeah. all of these will become simpler because we, if you say, okay, um, by and large, this is how, because let's face it, you, you don't, when you go for your, your daily cheese, you, you don't need it. You don't need the packaging to be extravagant. Like you don't need a need a pyramid shape with a bell attached. You really don't. You just need it to be packaged adequately with that. Yeah, exactly. Little, you don't even probably notice that beautiful. True. Shape and so there are examples now during the pandemic where everyone wanted to streamline their production. What one thing we've struggled with is that it's it's entirely possible in some areas. Now this is this is not us. This is another company that I've that I've talked to, and they used to supply uh, one of their customers with forty different types of packaging for the same cheese. Wow. And after the pandemic, they did three. Because they said, if you want security in us doing this quicker, uh, we're going to save in every aspect, in every aspect of this, in material, in print cost, in, in, in electricity, in, in, uh, in everything, um, if we just go and we say, let's, let's do four basic ones. And the customer so, said, OK. Yeah. And so that so, was the show. They didn't need the 40 different um, packaging types in the first place. It, that that is a fair assumption. Yeah, um, I think it's it's sometimes funny. I mean, we we make such such small small changes, and I understand the big ones, right? So so the big ones are it's Christmas. We want to have Santa Claus on uh, or Father mm -hmm. Christmas on the on the packaging for the children's cheese. I get that, but then beyond mm -hmm. that, um, I think if we could even get to a point where we say, okay, the first order of the day is to make the packaging as sustainable as, as possible. And the second order of the day is to actually market that sustainability. People would be attracted to that. 
rather than yeah. marketing anything else like like the history of your logo or a different color palette yeah um, a new brand for the product for the cheese all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like all the and, time and again i'm not talking about premium products right so when you treat mm -hmm. yourself it's a it's a different story and that has to do with with human nature um because i mean you know this probably best from your own shopping behavior right so it, when you it's very difficult to get excited about mid-range retail so you get excited about a bargain mm -hmm. and you get excited about treating yourself and you get excited about doing something good for society those are the yeah. three things but an average priced average cheese for average use will never get you excited so so it needs to hit one of the other ones you're going to buy expensive cheese because you're treating yourself and friends are coming over you're going to buy a bargain cheese because it makes sense and you can make a lot of different dishes with that cheese so you're going to buy a bulk or you're going to buy something where you say like this is the most sustainable cheese on earth yeah the same is true by the way for, for all kinds of shopping i um have a have a recent example and again we would with this is again combining sustainability and consumer behavior so a little bit of behavioral economics which i think is, is actually behavioral economics is going to be first of all it's the only economics that that is true that works in my mind so the austrian school of economics um but <laughs> but secondly it is going to be um what is actually going to solve this problem what's going to nudge people in in terms of sustainability we need to nudge people when you when you tell people what to do people won't do it because we're allergic to that from a young age we need to nudge people in the right way so my example here is um i was i was uh, traveling with my then then girlfriend and uh, we were going to go uh, abroad and she found the idea very cute that we would have matching running shoes so we went out to get matching running shoes and and about 19 minutes into the experience i was utterly fed up because i'm i'm i love work and i love doing stuff and i i really hate shopping and wasting time so 19 minutes into it i said to her can we spend one of two amounts can we spend zero or can we spend a shitload and mm -hmm. and the reason i said that she said why and said uh, well because as it, if we spend zero, we go home now, we save time and we're going to use the shoes that we have, which are perfectly serviceable, by the way, and not that old. And we're going to feel, I'll feel good about the fact that, that I've saved money and I'll even put it into our holiday savings account. Or we're going to spend a load on sort of uh, Nike's new recovered ocean plastic air cushion runners because then I can go, go get all high and mighty and nerdy about this and research every aspect and then tell my mates that my shoes are actually made of ocean plastic and I'm yeah. making And everyone want to get the same ones. Exactly. So both of those excite me, but then buying last year's uh, weird red running shoes at a discount at JD's is just not going to do it for me. And most people are the same. So the story is so, so important. Storytelling is absolutely key to having good solutions in sustainability, right? Um, if I can tell myself the story and my friends the story and someone tells me the story that this is actually um, a, a guilt-free choice, most of us are willing to pay moderately more. Yeah, and yeah exactly. something else. when seeing the impact really. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And, and when we make that choice and when that choice is made easy for us, and this is the key, when the choice is made easy for us to choose um, 
to choose the, the more sustainable option, then we will. It's not yeah. easy right now. Mm, not yes. at all. But then, you know, we already covered a bit on the like, future of plastic and packaging. So how do you see how VPAC is now building this sustainable future? Or the future so, of the package. so, I mean, we've been very, very clear on that. What we say, what we're going to do is that um, at the end of this year, I think we're already there. I'm not quite sure. I haven't checked the numbers in a while. But, but very, very soon, all of our factories will only run on renewable energy. And that was a that was a low hanging fruit. You know, factories have have big environmental uh, electricity impacts because yeah, you run yeah. heavy machinery. So so we just said this is just something that we must do, and let's see what it'll cost, and then let's find the money. And and so that one was an easy one. So that'll that'll that's uh, the energy footprint is 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 a whopping twelve percent of our environmental footprint. Now the biggest footprint that we have is actually the raw material that goes into packaging, and currently that's crude oil based. And so we've tracked a path and we said, okay, so we can't go bio-based immediately. We would, um, and we know how to, but the raw material just doesn't exist in sufficient quantities. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that our production, uh, that, that our product range is fully recyclable first uh, in 2022, end of 2022. And by 2024, end of 2024, we have substituted them uh, for fully recyclable and bio-based, which should bring us to our carbon neutral goal. Um, and, and to conclude that, um, that discussion, I encourage everyone to ask better and more ambitious questions. I think that's, that's the absolute key, to ask better questions than then reverse engineer. There was a car manufacturing company that roughly at the same time when we announced our strategy, sickeningly came out and said, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050. That is absolutely awful. That is appalling. <laughs> that is absolutely appalling because what, what that means, 2050, saying that you're carbon neutral in 2050, first of all, you're slower than most countries. So you're actually saying that you're going to be, be still producing a carbon output when your country that you operate in is carbon neutral. Congratulations. Okay. <laughs> then secondly, saying, saying in 2018 that you're going to be carbon neutral in 2050 means only one thing. It means that my strategy is to wait until 2040 and hope that the, that my the children of my children will then implement the necessary changes using technology which has solved the problem for me. Yeah. And, and I actually that day it, it, it annoyed me. So I, I looked up the, their board of directors, big car manufacturer, and actually judging by the picture of the board of directors, the people who actually made that decision um, as a PR exercise, well, ladies and gentlemen, um, none of them will likely be alive in 2050 anyway. <laughs> so, so when you look at that, you just know like you haven't, you have, you have been intellectually lazy. You have not cared about the question at all. You need to ask a much tougher question. You need to say, you, you can start by saying, um, how can we be carbon neutral next year? And then you mm -hmm. answer that. And then you iterate backward and you say like, okay, 20, in five years is a massive stretch target. But if our assumptions are correct, it's doable. So for instance, if legislation catches up, which we hope it will, it is doable. And only then are you actually solving the world's problems. And it goes back to, to behavioral economics and excitement. Think about you as young people, what motivates you? How will you ever be motivated by single digit uh, improvements? Someone says mm -hmm. to you, we're going to be 5% more sustainable. Yeah, like nice. Not encouraging at all. 
No, and actually, that's it, yeah, and that's it, like exactly the reason we're also doing saving ourselves. I mean, like the people doing these issues now and build like kind of these issues that are impacting the future. They are not leaving these decisions and the, like results of those. In every aspect of our lives, I ask everyone. I ask my pupils that I teach. I ask everyone, my my colleagues, to think bigger. Hmm. But even when when it comes to you know the the key to to people. Um, taking up new products, new sustainable, more sustainable products, and more sustainable behaviors. It's all behavioral economics. The question, the first question that you need to ask, what would make this at least twice as good? And what would make the customer experience and the ease of access at least 10 times better? Mm. Those are big questions to ask. That Those are the questions that matter, not um, how can we be uh, more sustainable? That's a wishy-washy question that anyone, any child can answer. It's easy. Uh, stop driving your car. You're not solving the world's big problems by doing that. And actually, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not going to retire at 60. Well, in the, for your, it's going to be 76. Don't say that. 76. <laughs> I mean, you, you can retire uh, much earlier. Or actually, my, my dream, of course, nowadays, the dream is to, to, to never, never to retire, but never to have to work a day in your life. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, the goal must be you, you have to you have to go big. And so that when you look back, you say, well, um, you, you're not going to you're not going to retire and say, I am so proud that I helped my company be two and 2.7 percent better every year. Yeah. You need something big. You need, yeah, like, I, I think this is actually like pretty good, good takeaway from this episode as well. So think big and yeah. You think must, big. must. And the younger you are, the bigger you must think. Yeah. No, it's like at least tenfold. At least, yeah. The result. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cute. Ten times. Ten X. At least. Uh, a final word on this one. You know that, that Google has a, a company, uh, ABC owns a company called 10X. Mm-hmm. Um, mm and basically they they invest in companies where they say um the justification always has to be it needs to make a tenfold difference to something oh. right so for instance they invest in autonomous driving because they say that it'll it'll easily cut uh it'll easily cut um traffic accidents traffic deaths to one tenth oh. so so that's that's the mantra and it is it is a good mantra to have i mean why else would we be doing it we already we're already very good at doing what we do now. We don't need to continue that. Incremental development is like not not maybe the way forward. Incremental development has its place. I'll contradict you just slightly there. It has its place, but it needs to run as a legacy system in the background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the we, we, we need to be very, very careful that we don't become organizations and societies where most of our focus is inwardly turned. Where we just look at, oh, look at how nicely my, my, my legacy process runs with my incremental improvements. We need to do both. Mm. And it's intellectual, intellectually lazy not to do, not to attempt to do both. Yeah, true. So better to do both, be ambitious, and at least take big steps and decisions. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. What else is there?
clearly my message about the uh, fashion industry being highly unsustainable wasn't welcome. <laughs> yeah, it was like real-time censure. It, it was neat. I, I was just saying that uh, essentially any kind of consumption is worse than non-consumption. It doesn't matter how, how sustainable it is. So yeah. especially with, with fast fashion and even with slow fashion, if we decide to constantly buy new clothes, that is a problem for Mother Earth. The end. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. And also, like, I don't know. It, like, I don't know. There's, uh, for example, they just... This is off topic, but they just opened nice stores there in uh, Tripla Mall, there in Helsinki, Basila. And there's so many clothes, uh, which are like maybe three euros, five euros. And there's like, you use them maybe once and they are gone. And there's so many people always uh, shop, just like shopping more and more. This is, this is actually yeah. in, entirely on topic. So I, I am in the plastic packaging industry and I do not understand um, why we cannot move quicker in forbidding the most unsustainable materials. I think the fashion industry, by the way, is the world's second biggest polluter. Mm, Clothes, yeah. textiles, is the world's second biggest polluter. And actually, it is a bigger problem than packaging in the sense that we haven't found a way to recycle properly at all. Mm. Um, most of it is, is, is landfill and, and incineration. So uh, I do not understand why we cannot do more. And what, what's stopping Finland from saying, that's it? Um, if you mm. buy three euro clothing items, we will mark them up by two euros in tax, which we will use to dispose of similar items properly. Ideally, mm. we will then have a market that says, okay, that's fair enough. It's actually less costly for us to make sustainable stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the role of the regulator. And I mean, this is one of my, my favorite hypotheses. It's I am completely and utterly, and this is fully on the record, I absolutely believe in manufacturer responsibility. The mm. large majority of people believe that the manufacturers have responsibility um, for what they produce. And despite the fact that it still takes the consumer to buy it and the consumer mm. to want it for the manufacturer even to consider to produce it, I agree with that statement. But the manufacturers, business by and large, business solves problems. If you give mm -hmm. us a level playing field that says, this is what you're allowed to do and this is what you're not allowed to do, business is not going to have a massive outcry. Business is going to complain a little bit and then go back to the lab, back to R&D mm -hmm. and innovate within those constraints. Only when there is no clarity on where the world is going and what the legislation is going to be, well, then you do what you've always done to get what you always got. Mm, yeah, that's so true. And it's so easy to get stuck in these routines kind of without thinking even what you're actually doing. And well, what because you're already doing it. In the bigger scope. Yeah, exactly. It's going fine, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, but I think talking about legislation, I saw the at least the European Union had some re regulations written about this when it comes to the packaging and stuff. Why are mm -hmm. people not following it? It's really highly unspecific. I mean, okay. it's a good it's a good guideline, but I mean, the, the path is really long. So it's a, it's an unspecific guideline. So, for instance, let's let's take a simple example. I get back to that other point you just made there uh, after that. What is single use plastics? Give me one example of single use plastics. The UK, Italy come to mind where very soon your materials have to be packaging materials for food packaging have to be more and more called something called mono materials, which means that 
the packaging is only made of one type of material, which makes it very easy to recycle. Mm. And that's a game changer. Um, yeah. But but from the EU level, why this this seems slow, right? So even though the text is long, it's not specific enough for specific industries. So what the EU has to rely on is that the countries, the member states, will have a look at it, and then they say, okay, this is this is how we turn this into into local law, and then it's a go. And for instance, in in Germany, just one example, the the process goes as follows: the EU says, here it is. Germany says well, at the federal level, we're going to have a one year consultation period. So we hear all sides and then it needs to be ratified in the regional parliaments as well. So at the very best, it's a two year process, Program, yeah. um, which which, of course, when you're an impatient person like myself and that you'd actually want to have clarity because, again, we can only innovate against the constraints that we're given. If we're given none, then what what are we talking about? Um, mm. So it feels like a really long time. And, and this is a criticism to fellow manufacturers uh, as well. You are completely within your rights to make assumptions. And how on earth anyone could make any other assumption but that the future is sustainable and we need to have more sustainable material. And the one place that we all need to start is to make sure that everything is absolutely uh, recyclable, fully recyclable. How you cannot make that assumption today, I do not understand. That is a completely and entirely, because uh, people talk about the, the, the unlevel playing field and the, the missing rules and the missing guidelines, but that is an assumption that you can make. And I mean, there's a cheesy saying that goes, if you shoot for the moon and you miss, you land among the stars. So I think this is similar in the sense that how far are you going to go wrong if you start making more recyclable materials and then the legislation doesn't come, are you going to go, oops, well, that's another year of my life wasted. I made more sustainable packaging. That feels silly. And I do not understand why people don't move quicker on this. So in your opinion, do you think that um, these packaging um, companies should make the decisions themselves and just start moving with it instead of waiting around for clear I mean, some, guidelines? Absolutely. Uh, some do, some don't. Right, so there's plenty that that have moved very quickly. Um, the legislation is slower than the pace of innovation in the industry, and and that's very frustrating to see because we now need we now need the help from legislators. The other thing is we lack transparency and a common way of measuring, for instance, a carbon footprint. So, if you remember. 20 years ago, solar energy uh, wasn't and wind energy weren't very good because they simply the cost of, of putting up solar panels and the environmental cost of putting solar panels was huge and they didn't create all that much electricity. Now, you need to start somewhere and by now they're actually really good, right? So these things take a moment to, to iterate. So we need to start. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we need to be careful that we don't overinvest in um, technologies that look good but are not a long-term solution. So for instance, I completely understand why biodegradable packaging creates a huge buzz. Only so far, and all the existing packages could actually go and, and say, okay, we're going to replace some of our materials with biodegradables. That is not, not a big deal. Only the reason they don't do it is because the biodegradables in terms of overall environmental footprint, in terms of carbon footprint, have a much higher car carbon footprint than what we already have they solve one really important problem, which is the end of life. And currently the end of life, unfortunately, is that the world's seven biggest rivers put 95% of all the plastic packaging that is in the seas, in the seas. 
and that shouldn't be happening. As a manufacturer, actually, you're appalled at this because you want it back. Mm. I want my good stuff back. We can uh, turn it, we, we can not entirely reuse, especially not with food packaging, but there's so much packaging that isn't food. If we leave food out of this for just a moment, even though it's visible, I mean, if you make an Amazon online order or anything else, there's always excess packaging. So if at least that packaging for non sterile stuff or non-food applications we could get back and turn into more packaging that'd be absolutely fantastic we wouldn't have to create new stuff that's and we would, we would we would cut the reliance on crude oil as well that's one thing yeah. the other thing is we are actually able to to use bio-based materials so we can have sort of a side residual a residual product from the pulp and paper industry like tall oil and we can entirely already today replace crude oil-based plastics with carbon neutral or close abouts sort of renewable materials. So we can use a wood and pulp base to create packaging that is safe for food. We can do that, only there isn't enough produced yet. And that is a complex topic, of course, because we, we asked one of our suppliers recently, I said, listen, we would want to have lots more bio-based. We think people love it. We think people want it. And they said, now that makes sense. Um, the permission to set up a factory to create that will take one year to get and then it'll take half a year to scope the factory and about 12 months to set up the factory and then the people have to go <laughs> run the factory uh, so even if we accelerate all the other steps the minimum time for this is two and a half years and is that option not more expensive just like you cited the solar energy um, example a minute ago so 20 years ago it was very expensive but then with time it gets cheaper so this is interesting, right? So it's it, that's exactly right. It'll, with time, it'll always get cheaper. But at the same time, when we talk about packaging specifically, uh, think about the following. If you have almost carbon neutral packaging, because that's where I'm being careful, almost carbon neutral packaging, but especially if we do fully recyclable packaging, that'll increase the cost of a, a kilo of cheese in your local supermarket in Finland by three to five cents. So, so it's not that much as a percentage of the cost of the package if the package costs say uh, 20 20 p 20 pennies 20 uh, euro cents to produce it seems like a lot but percentages are misleading in this the question is a different one it's like dear produce dear consumer if you go into the supermarket and your your weekly cheese purchase or your monthly cheese purchase the big family cheese that you get what have you in finland all that money or edam or or mm -hmm. cheddar here in the uk if that one was packaged in a way that you can see from 10 meters away that you're doing something good for the environment, would you pay 3p extra? And the resounding response in all the global studies that we've done and that we've actually, we've, we've had third parties do, so people actually specialize on this, whether it's China or Brazil, whether it's Mexico or even the US, whether it's Germany or Finland, always the consumer says, yes, I would be happy to pay that. And that is very encouraging. The downside to this whole story is that um, people say they would, but they don't. And that's the <laughs> yeah, problem. Yeah, what do you think? That's like, what's the reason for that then? Well, I mean, if you go into a shop, imagine, imagine yourself. You're not always. It's not always at the back of your mind. I will look at um, thirty-six different. Uh, types of the same cheese and turn them around and le read the small print to see which one is comparatively the most sustainable packaged. 
And then when I've done that, I will read the other bit that tells me how sustainably the actual cheese, which is the major part of the environmental footprint, has been produced, right? That is, that's not something that is intuitive. And even if we tell people, well, that is what you must do in the future, it's your, it's your duty, it's not going to happen because that's not how the human mind works. So we need two things. One is we need absolute transparency. Why can't we see what's sustainable? We can see in red and yellow and green whether something has too much salt or sugar or uh, whatnot, fat, yeah. for you. Yeah. We can see all kinds of, in fact, we have an overload of information that does not matter in the grand scheme of things. The only things that really matter to you is uh, uh, how healthy is it, how long will it last, and is it good for the environment? That's the only thing that should matter. And we cannot easily see that at the moment. Um, that's one side of that equation. Then the other one is, we have, I mean, you know, in Finland, and this is a slight criticism towards my home, old home country, um, the public <laughs> sector, <laughs> has more, if I'm allowed, if I may, you are the allowed. public sector has created, has more jobs than the private sector. More people work for the government than work in the in industry. Um, and, and we have legislation for absolutely everything. Why not do something good with, with our legislative power and help out and say we are going to reward sustainable materials and sustainable production and we are going to progressively punish uh, non-sustainable production not immediately because you'll have a massive outcry and jobs will will I'm transition just going too to say that <laughs> well but step by step i mean you have a clear roadmap right say in mm. five years you're not allowed to do this anymore next year you're going to pay extra and it's going to cost you less if you produce very sustainably we're going to audit you. Why not? Industry welcomes that, by the way. Industry has no problem with this. We're done being the, the, the axis of evil every time people talk to us. It's frustrating. We're ready. Bring it on. Yeah, and I, I know it's possible because when you look at most of the Asian countries, they've really done well when it comes to this. And I mean, because of legislation as well. Um, East African countries have a have a the countries that I, I frequent have have a rubbish problem. Absolutely, they do. But in some areas where they've legislated decisively, I mean, trying to get out of Nairobi Airport with a plastic bag, it's not going mm -hmm. to happen, right? So so we we have ways of of doing this, and I think we're not using all the we're not using all the 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 options that we have at our disposal. And I'll, I'll give you a slightly sort of a graphic example for the sake of this podcast and why, why that is in my mind, if I may. I, I've, I've traveled extensively in, in, in parts of China uh, to see how where, where our suppliers, uh, suppliers from and, and just I've been there several weeks for work. So on the weekends, I've had the chance to go out into the smaller areas so you don't just see Beijing and Shanghai. And what struck me was that in sort of rural residential areas, middle-class homes, what you see is um, a massive 65-inch Ultra HD TV screen, but no toilet. You see a 65-inch screen, which us Londoners don't have. We wouldn't have the space to put it anywhere, but it somehow seems pretentious, doesn't it, a TV that size? Best quality, right? Big brand, global brands. And then people go, when the commercials are on and they've had too many beers, they go into the backyard and they'll poo in a hole. Now... When you look at this the first time, you think, oh, man, this, this is the priorities are uh, slightly wonky, aren't they? I mean, I think about it, and you're like, why do I prefer, why do I have a big screen TV and not plumbing? Mm. 
But mm -hmm. one of them requires your decision. The other one requires collective decision making. And that's yeah. the that's the big difference, right? And that's the problem with yeah. that we have in, in sustainable products as well. We need to get everyone on board. On board. Um, yeah. Uh, and and doing that quickly is is problematic. There's always someone who's being left out, and uh, we've become somehow a society where where we we overreact to criticism. We panic the moment someone disagrees. We forget mm -hmm. the ninety percent of silent people who are happy with something, and and the one person who wrote a long angry letter that was then published. Uh, everywhere and then the tabloids came, uh, swooped in and, and posted an article saying uh, the 10 most affected uh, types of people by sustainable packaging or the area worst affected in Finland uh, because we now use sustainable packaging. Something like that will always happen and we've become so sensitive to that kind of criticism that it feels we don't get stuff done. At times. Yeah, very unfortunate. That's a really good point. <laughs> Even though like ex exactly like when we have the challenge it's the like most important thing to discuss about it and take everyone to the same table. Go through and that. sometimes you just have to do stuff and then iterate. Analysis mm -hmm. paralysis, it, it, there's, there's a very simple mantra, which is that if people don't know what you're doing, they assume that you're doing nothing. That's true. And so if you don't, if you don't begin and you, you go down the rabbit hole of analysis paralysis and try to make everyone happy at once, it's never going to happen. Um, we, we need so much, society seems to be needing so much outside validation, it's mind-boggling. We need to move on and actually just do good stuff. We can. We can. And lots of people show us how to. I mean, you know, it's a cliche, but the world has never, uh, has never moved as slowly as it does today. And it's never again going to uh, has never moved as quickly as it's doing today, and it'll never move as slowly again as it is doing today. Yeah. Everything accelerates constantly, and the only way to to keep pace is actually to to do to do and to test and to iterate. Yeah, exactly. That's quite inspirational, I would say. Even even though it's a cliche. <laughs> well, they're cliches because they're partly true, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And many people ask, and I like like really thinking that way. And if, if someone had not uh, heard that one before, then now everyone's knowing and uh, also changes part of that. At this time, I would like to ask the last question of today for you, Harry. So, um, well, talking about sustainability, we do have this SDGs, so Sustainable Development Goals defined by UN. Um, what is your totem SDG and why? So <laughs> that's a, you caught you caught me there. So so I am not sure I know all seventeen of them by by heart. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, I think I mean they they all they're all heavily interlinked, right? So they're yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. They're, mm -hmm. they're all they're all heavily interlinked. Uh, I have two favorite ones actually. So um, I have uh, eleven and one. Um, uh, one is no poverty, and eleven is sustainable cities and communities. And and the reason I say that is that uh, we need to be able to make the totality of a community sustainable. Uh, and at the same time, it's, sustainability has so many meanings beyond sort of the less, less carbon emissions and so on. It's also mm -hmm. sustainable yeah. living also means that people live healthier. And we have too many people in the richest parts and in the poorest parts of the world where life is just not sustainable in, in, in terms of health. health. Um, so that's one. And why I talk about the no poverty 
Um, we have, if, if you're familiar with sort of the, the uh, grandfather of sociologists, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think his pyramid has seven yeah. needs. And essentially, if you sum that up quickly, it says um, it, there's no point in talking to people about democracy if they're going hungry and have no shelter. Um, and when we empower people, and, and poverty is, is, is sort of, there's several levels of poverty, right? So poverty is, of course, the absolute poverty of meeting your basic needs for shelter and, and food and, and, and safety. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other one is, is that of, of mental health um, so, and, and uh, mental and physical health. So when we empower societies, when we empower individuals mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to get creative and, and, and uh, to have time to think, uh, then problems get solved. Oh, so, so if, if we those just are really good choices. One and eleven. Yeah, and power and thoughts. Let me just just uh, I know I'm rambling a bit, but let me just <laughs> by saying if we combine those two and we build societies, uh, sustainable uh, communities for people, and then we we lift people out of poverty so that people can make their own progress, we will multiply the amount of people who don't have, who worry so little about daily things that they have a little bit more time to worry about the big picture of sustainability and we have so many more problem solvers we have billions of people that are an untapped resource mm -hmm. you know how this goes we've put a man on the moon yeah, yeah true yeah, humans can solve any problem right we just yeah we, yeah we are powerful we're yes. just lazy sometimes in my opinion <laughs> Well, some of us who have the capacity to solve the problems are lazy and then there's many who don't have the capacity because they live in appalling conditions. So, yeah. so uh, these things That's have to go true. hand in hand. That's true. Yeah. But Harry, thank you so much for the insights and, and all the great stories you shared with us today. You've been amazing, and I think we've learned a lot, at least personally, I have. I don't know about yeah, Maria. Yeah, the same, the same. I think we had really good chat and, yeah, enjoyed a lot. Great to Hopefully talk to you. Hopefully you had fun as well. I had a great time. Great to talk to you guys. Um, uh, anytime when it comes to topics of, of uh, empowerment or, or sustainability, I'll be at your disposal. Thank you very much, and uh, goodbye. Good Thank point. you. And bye hey, bye. actually, before you go, can we find you on social media? Somehow? You can indeed. So um, my name is Mr. Harry Henry on Twitter. Um, and my website is harryhenry.com. And you'll find my thoughts, my blogs, and my work on harryhenry.com. Talk to you later. Talk Thanks. to you later. Thank yeah. you so Thank much, you. Harry. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.